I had to start record and I have voiceover, so it was telling me where the microphone was to record. So. Okay. Thank you so much for coming onto the show to talk about your YouTube channel, your life learning journey. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to get people not only from Facebook, from, but from YouTube as well. And there's a lot of people on YouTube that people just don't know about. True. Yeah. For sure, yeah. <laughs> How are you anyway? I'm good. Um, entanché, mon ami. J'avais apprécié toute particulière participation avec moi en audio vidéo recordage aujourd'hui, mon ami. Pas de problème, avec plaisir. <laughs> I speak a little. <laughs> <laughs> What's your level in French? My um, passive learning is way high. I can understand right. the most novels. Um, mm. My active, I would, I would classify probably A2. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I want to get to at least a B1 in speaking, but I'm more, I want to watch movies, read books, you know. I tend to be better at passive skills as well. I'm not much of a output guy. I'm more input. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm an output person in the beginning. Like I like to learn the basics, mm -hmm. and afterwards I like to incorporate the podcast. Like at the early stages, speaking at the natural speed, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to I, I'm not a real big fan of the slow language or slow news in other language podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't help your brain when you're listening. Mm -hmm speak for the first time you're confused because you're so used to listening to it at a slower speed and I'm just like I'll, I'll just throw myself in there <laughs> but that's true I think that's um main criticism I feel of slowed speech is that people think that it's not really useful I think it'd be good at the start to get used to it or like just see the book having context but I think it's important to move on to natural speed as soon as possible yeah I, I've learned that listening even if it's passive, if I just have something in the background, it uh, I'll just um, like put a podcast on or I'll put a soap opera on or something. And I might not have a lot of vocabulary, but the more I'm listening, the more it's coming into my head. So then when I do use it in a conversation, it's easier for me to retain it as opposed to other, you know, just like, okay, I need to pick this book up and and even when I do books, I'll listen to the audio and, um, you know, have that going on in the background and whatever language. I do that at the lowest level of my language learning first. Mm -hmm. I get a sense of what it sounds like in my head as opposed to waiting six months and then it's, that's not going to help me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I... Um, I'm happy to have you on. Um, I um, usually start out with my first question, like, um, when was your earliest language um, introduction? Um, I feel like my first language introduction was um, when I was born, really, because um, I grew up speaking two languages, so I'm a native speaker of French and Portuguese. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was one of my probably earliest exposure to language, but it was sort of um, not like um, what's, what's, uh, conscious because it just was natural to me. It's as if 
it's hard to explain, but it's just is my first language in a way, even though it's two languages. But mm -hmm. I think my next exposure was probably with uh, Spanish because I used to go to Spain um, regularly when I was younger because I have people in my family that are not, well, they're not my family, strictly speaking, but they were almost like my family. So I've always kind of been exposed to Spanish when I was younger. So I think that was my first real foreign language um, exposure, I think. Yeah, for sure. Oh, when, me back. <laughs> oh, when, when did English come into the equation? English actually came in quite late. I did start um, English when I was, I think, nine, but it wasn't anything, it, it was more like introduction to English, you know, uh, when we are kids. The, we do like the hours, the days of the week, but I hated English. I didn't get it. <laughs> it wasn't, it was not obvious to me. Um, and I, and then I carried on doing uh, English more formally when I was 11 at school. But I think it's really when I was 16, 17 that I got interested in English and started to um, literally devour English context, English resources, such as TV shows, podcasts, movies, etc. And I think that's really when I got into English and I really liked it. Um, and I think that's really when I actually improved my English, I think. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause, um, now, I'm just curious for my listeners out there, like, what, when you start with, you know, your languages, um, mm -hmm. what, how do you go about it? Like, do you use particular resources? I mean, people use Aussie Mail, people use Teach Yourself, Michelle Thomas, Pimsleur. Um, for me, it's interesting because I haven't learned lots of languages um, outside of classroom. So all my uh, five languages, aside from Portuguese, I've well, and France being in France, French being in France. Sorry, uh, I've all learned. I've learned. Sorry, I've learned them all uh, in a class. So I didn't really have many languages I studied from scratch, but I did do Japanese. And for my Japanese, what I used was read textbook. I'm a big textbook guy, I think. I haven't particularly used many methods. I did use one though, which is Mango Languages, um, mm -hmm. which was actually very helpful to sort of practice speaking and getting used to the grammar and doing a bit of um, reading practice because obviously Japanese uses a different script. But um, at the moment, I don't think I have a strong favorite method. I like to use different things really. So for example, um, I'll use videos on YouTube, for example, mm -hmm. or I'll go to a language class. I did go to a um, Japanese language class. Um, I use Anki as well, but it's not really a method. It's more like a tool. Um, but yeah, and I don't think I'm very traditional in that sense. I don't really have a method for now, but who knows? Once, once I get more comfortable with uh, um, Japanese, I think maybe I'll have to move on to something and try out more things, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I've only been a part of the language community for four years now, and uh -huh. my foray into independent language learning, I was 38 with Russian. Mm -hmm. And I, I always tell this story, and people think I'm nuts, but I actually did this. I <laughs> downloaded uh, Mark Thompson's Russian Made Easy podcast. It was like 30 lessons, and I devoured all that in a week. And <laughs> found the Michelle Thomas Russian on YouTube and devoured that. And then I went and I bought it so I can have it for myself. And mm -hmm. then I uh, RussianPot101.com by Innovative Language Learning and I devoured that. And then I went and bought, subscribed myself to Russian, a Russian channel on my cable subscription. And for a whole year, I did nothing 
but for 18 hours a day, every Whoa. day, I listened <laughs> to Russian. I just stopped watching anything in English. And as of last year, I had my real first conversation for two hours in Russian with someone that did not speak English. And this was the key for me. This is how I knew I was fluent mm -hmm. in speaking. Um, I was able to have a conversation about a variety of different topics, ranging from politics and, and sports and travel and everything. And she only spoke German and Russian. And I actually made her laugh. <laughs> and I said, wow, I was so happy. I mean, I didn't even have a headache after the two hours was off. I was just <laughs> so happy. And then the other way I knew I was fluent was I actually put on an audio recording of uh, War and Peace in Russian. One and Piece. Was, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was able to understand it. And this is after like three years. So I always tell my students that I do freelance work for teaching them English um, that, you know, it's a process. It's not something to be rushed. Mm. Um, if you're learning a language, I learned Spanish in college myself. That was the mm -hmm. first I learned um, almost 20 years ago. And I was better with the grammar. And my friend was better with the vocabulary. He was able to like tell you what was going on in telenovelas and all of that. But mm -hmm. he also had more exposure to people than I did. So he was able to speak to people and, and he was able to work on his Spanish that way. And I did like 12 and a half hours a week of study time. Now, two and a half of those hours was class room time. And then the other 10 hours was me with a tutor for two hours reading with a textbook mm -hmm. and doing all the coursework. So, I mean, they wanted me to go to Mexico and Cuba, but <laughs> I just said, I couldn't do that. You know, <laughs> not at the time anyway. So, um, and then I lived with a Mexican family for 10 months and I passively, I learned so much in that 10 months because that's all they did was speak Spanish to each other. And they spoke English to me, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I learned so much. And um, it wasn't my first language of choice. I just did it because I needed it for a requirement for my degree. Mm -hmm. And then, because I studied theater and film in college. Right. So, so then um, I really, after learning Russian, I just went crazy and started with French and then Italian and then Dutch. And all that was similar. You went on the rampage. <laughs> yeah. And then I dabbled in some Brazilian Portuguese for six weeks. Uh-huh. Which was fun. I made more friends than I did speak it, but my Brazilian friends <laughs> You're good. I was like, oh abrigada. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they um I I stopped after six weeks because I realized I didn't have nobody to speak it with. So I just said and I didn't feel it anymore. I just wanted a taste. Mm, fair enough. So I did that and then I tried Swedish and Norwegian and I was like, no. I tried Korean for three weeks and I managed to like learn five words and I actually spoke in a Korean hair store, hair store in Cleveland. And, um, how did that go? That it, well, the words came to me when he started speaking the Korean and then I came out and said to bot, which means awesome in Korean. 
And my aunt, <laughs> all you said, and it was like, do you understand how hard Korean is? <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah, and well, I, to me, it didn't seem that difficult, but I guess I just didn't have the motivation for it like I thought I would. I mean, I know a lot of people in the community are learning Korean, but I'm more yeah. on, okay, I want to speak Thai, Chinese, not Chinese, Cantonese, and um, Japanese. But I feel like these uh, Asian languages, they tend to have a, um, I don't think it's the kind of language you can just sort of learn, you know, between brackets, learn in six weeks. It's languages that the learning, uh, um, what's the word, learning curve is like harder. Because okay. if it's a language such as, you know, if you're English and you learn French or Spanish, like it's a bit easier because you don't have the script sort of barrier. But right. I feel like with Japanese, for example, the learning curve is much more uh, steep. I don't know if that makes sense in English, but right. it's, a, it's just harder um, to get the same level um, that you would maybe six weeks in, six weeks in French. Um, if that makes sense, I don't know if that makes sense, right. but I feel like it's much harder. Yeah. Well, also, too, I think a lot of it depends on the person and mm. how they're learning style is i mean because sure. i'm a auditory learner so i used to be visual auditory and tactile and i'm more now audio and tactile mm -hmm. i can say without a shadow of a doubt if you don't have a goal in mind an end goal and do it in baby steps like this month i want to know how to order some food in japanese mm -hmm. this month i want to be able to tell about my family and friends this month i want to tell about my hobbies this month i want to because if you try to cram it all in, mm. you're not going to really get anywhere. That's true. I agree. Uh, also, like these small goals are sort of easier to achieve because you have a focus and you know you can learn just the related phrases and you'll be sort of, let's say, fluent in that specific context. Like you'll be able to cope with it. Right. I mean, because I know for me, I pick out things that I'm um, interested that I'm interested in in my English life. Mm -hmm. So if I do these things in English. I want to be able to do the same thing in that particular language. So if I want to talk about sports, I want to talk about fashion or politics. I want to talk about books, film, you know, travel. That's great. Um, I know next year that is my aim is to be able to do Japanese and Arabic, Egyptian Arabic. <laughs> and everybody's like, good luck. I'm like, oh, I have all my tools that I need to use for it. Um, you know, I mean, I know plenty of people that speak these languages, so it won't be that difficult for me to find people to practice with. Mm. I live in a town where it's like the United Nations over here. <laughs> so I have it's a good thing. every Asia, and I got people to speak French, so I can speak French. There's actually a meetup group here in Akron that they speak French, um, Italian, Pennsylvania, Dutch, um, you know, all the Asian languages, Spanish, Russian. Um, Lao, Swahili, Somali, you know, all these languages. So I'm like, and they're on the north side of town, but I don't care because I'll go over there just to, you know, be able to speak with people. Um, it sounds to me like the U.S. is great for language practice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, in Ohio, we have like so many people coming from like Africa and Asia and Latin America and like they're looking for like Somali interpreters and, wow. you know, Mandarin Chinese interpreters. I mean, they're looking for interpreters for Spanish, but I mean, these languages are like more 
popular now than Spanish is. I mean, yeah, Spanish is a big thing over here because of people coming from Latin America or they're coming from Puerto Rico or Mexico or Dominican Republic. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like Spanish is kind of forced on us because of the fact that they, there's a big Latina community here. Yeah. However, there are Latinas in this country that don't speak their own language because their parents wanted them to and become 100% Americana. So Spanish, and I'm like, if I had a heritage language, do you think I wouldn't be learning that? That could be beneficial down the road. Mm. I end up learning it in school. You know. it, it always make me, makes me sad when, well, it's not their fault, but when parents sort of think that they need to forget their, well, their kids or children need to forget um, their native language in order to better um, sort of integrate to society. And I find it really sad on a very like deep level because I grew up bilingual and I'm, and I'm so glad I could, I can speak the two languages because if I couldn't, if I couldn't speak Portuguese, for example, it would mean that I would sort of um, shut myself off like a, an entire country and also my family and I wouldn't be able to communicate properly with them because they only speak Portuguese and like three words of French right so um, it just really hurts my soul when I hear people you know having the idea that they need to only speak one language in order to integrate into the culture but it's quite a big problem in the bilingualism because I study bilingualism um, as part of my master's mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of myths around bilingualism which are that you know for example they think that if kids grow up uh, speaking two languages they'll have language delay so they prefer their kids to learn only English and then I don't know later acquire another language maybe but I don't know but in, in any way you still lose that sort of culture set of your culture I think if you just learn one language when you have two at, uh, at home really right I mean because I'm the only one in my family that speaks other languages and mm-hmm. We have, we have a large multicultural um, background. Like I just mm-hmm. found out I'm, I'm a quarter Irish. Right. <laughs> then I just found out that I have, uh, I'm connected to the Bantu tribe in West Africa. So that's like 40% of that. And wow. Swahili is the language for that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn these languages, even if it's at a basic level. I don't care. I, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, you know, it'd be interesting for me to, to find out more. And on top of that, like, um, my one cousin is part black, Mexican, and Chinese. My other cousin's half white, half black. Her kids are half German, white, and black, with a little bit of Blackfoot Indian, Irish, and Bantu tribe. And then my other cousin's son is half black, Irish, German. <laughs> I'm like, okay, oh, and, oh, I forgot. And my cousin's son has all that. Well, minus the German and yeah, minus the German. Um, has part Mexican, Puerto Rican, Chinese, and black. Irish and Blackfoot Indian. Dang, and me, I'm only Portuguese. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, I was born in France, but. 
I mean, but it's so like we're such a rainbow family that you know for us uh you know finding out about our our your, our lineage and stuff because in, in america we don't if you're black it's hard for you to find out where you come from mm. because it only goes back so far yeah you know so if you have other elements in you that are not african-american with slavery intact you might be able to find out more and your line might trace back past like 1860 but it's rare because of the slavery i guess the information is not there or has it been destroyed i think i heard about something like that um i don't know i think it depends on the person and their family lineage mm. You know, the Irish and the Bantu tribe came from my grandmother, my mother's mother, side. So they were from the West Indies, Western Africa. There was some slavery because of the Alabama thing and Tennessee. And then, yeah, so that side. And then my grandfather, which this is my mother's parents, um, the, his Mother was half Blackfoot Indian, half black, and her mother was 100% Blackfoot Indian. So, yeah, but there was some white in that too, because we had a great aunt. She could pass for white, literally. The only reason you know she was black was when she opened her mouth to say something. <laughs> and it was. I mean, seriously, blonde hair, blue eyes. I was like, oh, yeah. No wonder we're so light. There's some, you know, and I've always been someone that likes genealogy and finding out about, like, people's lineages and, and you know, oh, well, I wonder what language is associated with this and blah, blah. I was like, heck, Benny Lewis and I could be related for all you know. <laughs> but you know, skin color is very interesting because... My parents, they're both like tan skin and in my entire family is tan, but I'm like extremely white, so I get lots of crap for it. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, I, and it's, it's funny too, because my aunt was like, so when are you going to get paid for this? I'm like, pay for what? <laughs> she thinks every time I try something new that I'm supposed to get paid for it. <laughs> and I said, well, if you love something enough, it doesn't really matter about the money aspect. The money will come if, you know, you 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 love it, you know, and you become successful at doing whatever it is you do with mm. what you're learning. So I said, you know, I she was like, so how many more languages are you going to learn? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I mean, when I interviewed Crashin a couple of weeks ago. I told him I had started learning Hindi and I learned like A1 in six days using mango. And I just, I, I enjoyed it because it was, it was different. And I like yoga and Indian food and Bollywood movies. And that was my reason for learning. I love Bollywood movies. And um, Hindi. So, and then people were like, your Hindi is good and your Finnish is good. And then I got like inspired to learn a little bit of Finnish because of Professor Aguilas. He's in Finland now learning Finnish. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, literally, he's hanging out with people and learning from the people, the language. Like, they actually went out into the forest and started, like, learning the different 
roots of branches and trees and plants and you know in Finnish. Yeah, I mean that sounds was, complicated. Yeah, I was like, uh, I would love to have that type of an emerging environment where I didn't have to speak English all day. Oh my god! <laughs> but um, yeah, for some reason I don't know why I picked up Finnish, but I did. Um, and then I said I kind of like this. So I, I did that, and I, I always tell my students, I said, you know, if you find something, even if it's a little something in the language that you connect to, learn a little bit of it, because you never know if it'll come in handy, or, you know, you might meet somebody, you can use it. That doesn't mean that you have to be, like, master mm. language at all. You know, it, I just wrote a post on Twitter talking about, you know, um, you know language learning you know, for language learners is a hobby, you know, it's not about how much money you make working or not working yeah. um, or education or, you know, traveling or whatever. You know, most people, they go to the country and they may or may not pick up the language depending on how much effort and work they put into it themselves. And if they're in their expat bubble, good luck. You know, you're not going to get very far if you're still hanging out with people that, speak the same your native tongue and you're not trying to connect with locals mm. that's very important if you want to learn the language to not fall into that trap i remember when i did my year abroad so my first year in england i made a point of um, not hanging out with uh, french-speaking people <laughs> which was interesting um because it mean it meant that when francophone people would come to me and speak French or something, I would not make a point of, you know, saying to them, I don't want to talk to you. It's not that, but I would tend to progressively avoid them. Not because I hated them as, a, as people, you know, they were very friendly, but because I felt like if I went to England and didn't try to speak English and hang out and fall into the trap of being with my people, if I may say, then mm -hmm. I would not actually make the effort. And it went as far as having uh, a French flatmate who um, spoke, um, was French actually, and but she spoke fluent English. So we just kind of agreed to not speak to each other in French. We just spoke to each other in English. So that meant that for a year, we never heard our French voices. And the first time we did, it was really funny actually. But I did make the effort of actually not speaking French at all. And I just, my level of English just skyrocketed. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I tell people that, too. When I learned Russian, I spoke for a whole year, even if it was to myself. <laughs> you know, I, I went to a Russian festival, and what was so sad was I had started learning the language. I hadn't learned it for, like, seven months, and I was immersed, like, completely. I live, eat, breathe, drink Russian. <laughs> and... Um, I went, and it was second-generation Russian, so I'm assuming I'll be able to practice in Russian. I started speaking right away. I didn't care. <laughs> and none of them spoke Russian. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Shame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got, I got to have some Kiev chicken out of it, and I got to have some, <laughs> some borscht for the first time. And then I looked up the recipe, and I learned how to make borscht in Olivier's salad because of my love of Russian. Russian everything <laughs> and I said to myself I said I'm going to find me a French dessert to make so I can make that and then um, an Italian I want to make um, some pascotis and some cannolis eventually for you know in Italian using an Italian recipe 
And um, I tell people this all the time. I said, language learning isn't just about grammar books and textbooks and courses. If you want to integrate this into your life and you want to actually like utilize the stuff you're learning, make a meal. That's true. Why um, not? If that's your know, interest. Right. I mean, because if you like to cook, if you want to cook, I mean, I mean, you have to eat anyway. But, <laughs> but if, you, if you want to cook and you're learning a particular language, why not find a dish that you might want to try to make in that language and look up the vocabulary and the measurements and go to the store and find a supermarket that might speak that language and try to use the words that you know in order to purchase the stuff that you need in order to be able to make it in the target language. That, that would be a great goal because that way you're, you're incorporating everything into it. You're reading, you're writing, you're speaking, you're listening, all into that one task. It's and funny that you say that because I know I've got a, a Japanese supermarket um, in town and my goal is to one day have a full interaction in Japanese, but I feel so shy about it because the thing about... <laughs> In Japan, that what's funny is that if you speak Japanese and you say something almost at a native speed, or if you sound too confident, they assume you speak Japanese, and then they just talk back to you in Japanese, in full Japanese, and you're like, uh, I don't know what you said. I just said one word that I know, and I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so it's very intimidating and sort of stressful as well. But I think I need to find the strength, and I don't know. I think it's one of my goals to actually do everything in Japanese. That'd be very rewarding. But I did do that in Japan, to be fair. I did, I did, um, I accomplished my Thai goal last month. I wanted to go to a Thai restaurant and I wanted to order some food until I have a short conversation mm. using the information I got off of Mango. Yeah. And How did I, it go? It went well. And couldn't find out the girl that was taking my order. She lived in Hollywood, California, and I had lived there when I went to film school. So she knew why I had lived in everywhere. It was such, it was so amazing. And mm -hmm. it was such a great motivator to keep going. Because uh, I, I, I interviewed um, Stu J. Raj a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and uh, for my show. And, um, you know, I said, I enjoy, you know, your, your videos. Because he, when he makes his videos, his YouTube videos, it's, um, you know, I get more out of it than oh, well, I need to get this book. Not really. Um, okay, let me watch this. Because there's certain things that they do in Thailand or they say in Thailand that you wouldn't say in a textbook. Yeah. You know? And he gets everything off the street. Like when he told me about his process, like he went to a McDonald's, just as an example. And he would sit down and he would watch the body language of the people and listen to them for like an hour to a half an hour and go back and practice what these people were saying. That's really good. I was like, wow. I don't know if I would have been able to do that. You know. Um, but I always have a plan of attack when I'm learning something. I always make sure I always learn the phrases. I don't speak very well. Mm -hmm. Can you please repeat slowly. And I make sure I, I at least make sure I have at least an A2 level before I I really start going into a place and saying I want to do this or do that um, mm -hmm. just so I can have more ground to cover um, when I'm speaking to people. Um, I'm more of an extrovert, so I can go up to anybody. That does help. <laughs> and start speaking. Like, if we ever met in real life, I'd probably be like, 
Bonjour, Kevin. Comment allez-vous? Tu me fais You know, and I mean, that's just me. I'm, I'm that type of person. I, I don't have any fear when it comes down to speaking with somebody whatsoever. I did that in Russian once. And this lady said that she spoke Russian. I just started speaking Russian with her. That was, was I, sorry, sorry, carry on. <laughs> she was completely like taken aback by it, but she was also hesitant about speaking it. And she taught Russian at university here in Akron. And I'm like, you teach Russian, but you don't want to speak it in public. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. <laughs> So, yeah, but the people in the place were like completely shocked that I was coming out speaking Russian. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're rocking it. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about Russian because you said at the beginning that um, you like Russian and then you started speaking like quite a lot. Was this sort of out of the blue? Was it progressive? Did you have a lot of input first? What was your sort of method? Um, well, what I did was I was so excited because I wanted to learn it. So I got, I downloaded um, Mark Thompson's um, Russian Made Easy course, which you can, you can find in the App Store, you know, and Google Play Store, App Store, um, and it's free, it's 30 lessons. So I just did that first to get some type of a foundation. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Michelle Thomas. Um, and I found it online and I just started listening passively. You know, I would be cleaning my room or doing something. And then I went to the library and got Pimsleur Russian. And I went through like the first, first 30 lessons of that. And then I just started using it. And what I did was I held myself accountable. I literally made myself videos on Facebook, <laughs> me speaking and it was a good thing that I did that because I was able to toss them up on Facebook and people would give me feedback. Oh, that's great. And that's how I do it. I mean, I don't do as many conversation partners anymore. Um, I have a lot of Russian friends. They were the first people to welcome me into the language learning community. And, um, you know, like my friends are like, when are you coming to Russia? We need to talk. I mean, now, you know, your Russian's good. When Steve Kaufman says to you you're speaking at a c1 level in russian oh <laughs> that's really and, high as well yeah yeah and i i a lot of it was because i just listened a lot a lot and i practiced a lot i literally lived my life in a russian bubble in my house i listened to radio roca which is a political podcast i listened to president putin speak constantly like i just use somebody to listen to so I said, I'll listen to Putin speak. I like the way he speaks. Um, I listened to his state-to-state address, which is like three, four hours long. You know, when you know you know the language, when you're starting to cry, when people tell you that their entire community burnt down to the ground because of electrical problems, and they have no place to live. Yeah. So no. I, I, that's what I did. I chose a lot of things that were... Uh, of interest to me like I love watching talk shows so I was able to learn about my politics from Russia the whole year of 2016 just listening to the talk shows and the people's responses to what's going on in the 
in our country. And I learned so much. And I also practiced a lot. Now, my grammar wasn't the greatest, but I had a high vocabulary. And I still do. Um, I, I don't speak it as much as I want to, but I mean, it's still there. It's, it, it, I won't forget it because I'm like at a B2C1. And, you know, if I can understand Putin and what he's saying and look at the complex vocabulary he has to deal with, you know, that, that says something. I, I listen to him and Lavrov and, and Maria Safarova and, yeah, I just uh, listened to a lot of people and had a lot of different conversations with Russians from all over. And they're like, you're fluent. My God. I mean, because they're so shocked that someone like me from the U.S. would want to learn Russian. <laughs> and I said, well, it's a language. No one owns it. You can't buy it. Sure. You know, um, if you love something enough, you'll sell it. And I love history, too. So Russian history was another um, reason that I loved Russia. I mean, I would love to go to Russia one day. Um, you haven't been yet? No. I, I Although it would be exciting the first time you go, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I want to go to France, too, and just soak up everything Parisian. And, and <laughs> another thing I learned, too, is you need to learn the culture and how they behave and how yep. they think and... People don't realize, okay, I'm not going to go up to a Parisian and just start hugging um, them. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> I, I mean, there are people where if you, the etiquette is so different. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people, I want to learn this language. I was like, well, you might want to learn about the cultural differences. You can't go up in there because you're American or British or whatever and think that your way of doing things is going to be acceptable. Oh, that's the biggest faux pas you can make. Um, that's actually a video I reacted to um, last weekend. I reacted to a, um, an, a YouTube name is uh, Not Even French, and she did a video about uh, French faux pas in France, and I reacted to this video, and it was actually very interesting how some people comment, commented, and they said that, oh, but isn't all these things just sort of common sense? And I had to tell them that, no, it's not. In Portugal, Portugal you would not necessarily behave the same way. For example, in Paris, people tend to be more, um, un not unfriendly, it's not the right word, but more sort of distant. But in Portugal, people will be more friendly to you, you know, as a stranger. Right. So, yeah, like, definitely culture is very important because you can be, you might be able to say everything in the language, but if you don't have any, like, cultural sensitivity, then you might actually confuse people, you might scare them, or you might just act weird. <laughs> right. I, and I tell someone, if you're, if you're going to go into someone else's backyard, learn some new ways of, of behaving oneself because it's not the way you think. And a lot of people seem to think that, oh, well, we can get by with English. And I said, no, you can't. <laughs> you get out of tour cities. They don't speak English. They speak whatever the language is. So, you know, and I was like, I love French. I, I've always loved French since I was a young teenager. And mm -hmm. like someone's like, your favorite book is Les Miserables. I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Oh, I love Les Miserables. <laughs> oh, I have it in French and I'm reading it. Um, How do you find it? I love it. Well, I mean, I've read it in English. I've seen oh. every production of the movie that they've made. It, the only thing I haven't seen is a French production. 
oh, yeah, there was a musical. It used to be a musical, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there, there is a Broadway version. I do have that. Um, but I love the book. Like, I love Victor Hugo. Actually, that was my favorite book by him, period. I'm surprised you read the book. It's really long. <laughs> I don't know many people that read the book. Um, it took me two years. <laughs> well, I, I plan on reading, um, finishing reading that book. I'm probably like chapter 15 now. <laughs> So I'm still at part one, I think. Yeah. So, but I mean, I enjoy it. Like, it's a great book. Amazing. Victor Hugo is amazing. Yeah. French cinema is amazing, too, because I, I studied cinema in college. And uh, I got my first degree in theater. And then I got my second one in film. And I love the French Renaissance. And I love um, Breathless <laughs> is one of my favorite movies. And which one? Breathless. Oh, which one is that? Um, it's, it's a French movie that came out in 1960s. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, I gotta remember the name of the director. Um, and then I love Italian cinema too, and Russian cinema. And I love Asian cinema. So I, you know, I like my, my Japanese horror movies and my Thai movies and... Did you watch Battle Royale? <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't. Actually. Oh, you have not? Oh, it's a great horror. Well, it's, I don't know if it's horror, really, but it's kind of gore, at least. <laughs> so I think right. that falls under horror. It's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's another reason. Everybody's like, well, how are you supposed to remember all these languages? And I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, I don't get them mixed up anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I used to, and I, I tell people there's a trick for that. When you, if you're learning two languages as an example, and one of them is at the same level as the other one, um, that means you're going to have to focus on speaking a lot more and listening to a lot more information. I mean, I used to get my French, my Spanish and my Russian confused. And then when I started doing more Russian, it worked. And then I got to the point where I was able to separate the languages in my head and not let English interfere at all in any of them because I I would rather speak with a native speaker that speaks no English because mm -hmm. that way I, I'm forced to use everything I have at yeah. my disposal instead of sitting there and having someone correct me constantly and I mm -hmm. said well you're never going to learn if you just keep interrupting <laughs> Like That's when true. people, I listen to what they have to say in English and then I'll wait for them to finish mm -hmm. and then I'll give them correction because I want to know everything that you're telling me, you know, and it just interrupts the flow of the conversation otherwise. Right. And so, sorry about that. My guide dog Bono is snoring. <laughs> I have a yellow Labrador retriever. That's a six year old. and We'd be together five years on the 21st of this month. So, so yeah, he's my first guide dog. And so if you if you're legally blind and you have some residual vision, you're able to get a guide dog. If you're legally blind or totally blind, but if you have like vision like twenty over a hundred and better, no. It has to be lower than that. And um so yeah, I love my guide dog. He's amazing. <laughs> but um yeah, so he so in that experience i always tell people you know 
take your time what you want to say to me. I'm not going anywhere. Because <laughs> I'm a very patient person when it comes down to teaching people stuff because I look at it as, you know, they're taking the time to learn English. I mean, that, that says a lot right there. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I, I always get, I always ask them, what is your favorite book to read? And they'll tell me a technical book or a grammar book. And I said, wait, you don't read like Harry Potter. You don't read like Thrones. You don't read like, you know, um, I don't know, the Babysitter's Club. I don't know. Uh, I'm Anything in the, you know, talking, whatever. And it was like, no. I was like, what books do you like? What kind of books do you like to read in your language? Your language? And they tell me the genre. I was like, find the same books in English. Yeah. Because technical books are great, but I'm not going to want to read that. <laughs> I want to read but, something that's compelling. Yeah. But I think what it comes down to, and that's sort of uh, an echo to what you were saying earlier, is that whatever you do in your native language or you know your strong language, whichever it is, um, right. you can often replace it with um, the new language. So reading is an example. You know, if you like reading, let's say romantic novels, why not? Then you can um, also access some of them in, you know, your target language. But same thing when you were talking about cooking. If you like cooking, that's something you can try to implement um, in the other language, I think. So I think that's a nice way to, I think that's my best advice, I I think, to learn languages is really to make sure that whatever you like to do, uh, try to do it in the target language, you know, if you feel like you have the ability and the level. Um, But yeah, I think that's very important to do that. Now, I'm curious, what, what made you want to create your YouTube channel? Say again? What, what made you um, get inspired to create your YouTube channel? Oh, there's quite a bit, I think, actually. Um, I think one of the main thing was obviously my love of uh, languages and the fact that I felt like I had things to say. <laughs> and whenever I would see YouTubers or, you know, just content creators uh, doing language videos, I thought I could do that too. Like, I have lots of things to say, lots of ideas to share. And also... I did a master's of linguistics, I believe that was six months before the start of, um, no, a year and a half before I started my channel. And I just wanted to do something that would kind of keep up my knowledge of linguistics. So, you know, every now and then I'll talk about bilingualism. Um, recently, I talked about uh, Francois Grosjean, who's a, a linguist um, specialized in uh, bilingualism research. And it was just a, a nice way to um, sort of, yeah, keep refreshing my memory, I guess, on linguistics. Otherwise, I feel like I would have just forgotten it. <laughs> now, I'm just curious because I kind of think on that, that same track, even though I don't have a master's degree in linguistics, but because I've, I've you know, immersed myself in so many different languages, you know, I, I go back to my own university's, you know, beginnings when I learned Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I learned the grammar, and uh, Krashen had said, because I had told him, I said, I I had my first two-hour conversation last January in Spanish, mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> I had a headache for three hours after it was over. <laughs> like a migraine. Like, it took that long just for it to come down. <laughs> did you drink enough water? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Well, <laughs> What was so weird about the whole experience was that he had said to me, he said, okay, why do you think you had a headache for Spanish, but when you spoke Russian, you didn't have one? And I said, well, I think because 
maybe with Spanish, it was something I was forced to speak as opposed to something that I really wanted to speak initially. You know, mm -hmm. Russian, Russian's like my love, just like French and Italian are my loves. Um, I, 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 I love those languages, have always loved those languages. I see myself having a headache speaking the ones that I've chosen to speak as opposed to something I had to learn just for a means to an end, you know, yeah. for three requirements. And so um, he said, well, that's why, because you were forced to use information you really didn't have at the ready and you weren't comfortable with. I mean, because I, I was able it. to substitute words that I didn't know for other words and I knew I was fluent then, but I just, I mean, I've never had such a migraine in my entire life. I was like, oh my God, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> well, so it's difficult because when you're not comfortable um, in a language or if that language is not second nature yet, it just takes more effort. Like for me, when I arrived in England, listening to people in English for, you know, hour, an hour, two hours was really tiring. I could feel myself almost sleeping as I was listening to them. I could not be focused anymore. But now I don't have any trouble, you know, watching movies in English, talking to people for hours and, you know, it's just it's almost become not my native language um but almost because it's just natural to me but right. if i need to speak spanish which i'm sort of intermediate um in um it, it will take me more effort because i'll be you know looking for my words a bit more um and yeah it's just sort of harder because your brain is not used to it i guess right yeah because i mean i i have gotten better with my spanish speaking but like i tell people Yes, it's one of the languages that I do know very well. It's just I, I, it's not one of the languages I feel comfortable speaking. Yeah. I, I actually enjoy the opposite of that. I like singing in Spanish, dancing to Spanish music, eating Spanish food. I enjoy those elements of the of the language, not so much having a conversation. <laughs> you know. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So. And everybody's like, well, how did you become fluent in Spanish if you hadn't spoken it? I was like, I sung the Shakira and Jennifer Lopez and Ricky Martin and Enrique Iglesias. So, you know, and that's, I just interviewed um, ta uh, Tamara Marie um, recently from LearnSpanishConsalsa.com last mm -hmm. weekend. And she was saying, you know, that she had learned, you know, Spanish in school when she went to go to Panama, it was a, a wake-up call because she didn't remember how to say the most basic of, of phrases, you know, that you would need for over in Panama, you know. She just thought the stuff that she used in school would carry her over, and it, it didn't. She yeah. had to learn everything. And she <laughs> said she liked Caribbean Spanish better than Spanish from Spain. I was like, well, you're not living in Europe. So I understand why that would be, that wouldn't be as important as over here in the U.S. where there's Mexico, Trinidad, Dominican Republic, um, South America, for instance, Cuba, you know, all those different places. So she, she um, said that, you know, she had to learn the different vocabulary for each country that she was going to because it was so different. You know, she mm -hmm. You learned what a paella was, uh, you know, because it was Puerto Rican Spanish. But when she went somewhere else, there was another word. 
in the Dominican. Ah. And I said, well, yes, you're going to always have vocabulary that, you know, is, is, there's a different word for the same word that you know in another, another dialect of the language. Yeah, that, they always tell you that, like, you need to know multiple words because it, the same word that you're using, that word might be used one place, but it might be called something else in another. That's something that can actually be a challenge um, because I'm a teacher in real life is that obviously my focus when I teach French is French from France. But I always try when I know the words to kind of make my students aware that in different regions of France or even in other French speaking countries, one word will be used instead of the word that would normally be used in France. So, for example, um, in France, we would use for 70, we say um, 70. But um, in Belgium, for example, they would say septante, so they will use a different word. So I try as much as possible to give them awareness of the fact that French is not on, doesn't only exist in France, but also in other countries. And in these countries, they might use alternative words or just right. d different words in general to refer to the same thing. You know, I was going to ask, have you ever recommended like your students learn like um, like listen to podcasts from different French speaking countries so they can get used to how they say things? Actually, I haven't, but that's a really good idea. I do try to um, give them um, types of podcasts or even YouTube channels to listen to. But it is true that the thing about French is that even French from Belgium is not extremely different. There is right. this ever so slight different accent that I think only an 80 speaker can really detect. But the vocabulary is very similar because French is, um, it's kind of an odd one because French tends to be quite standardized, or at least, you know, in Europe, right. um, that people tend to sound almost the same or speak almost the same. I mean, they're all going to be regional accents, of course, but the language tends to be quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Homo homogenous. Um, so you don't really have that difference, but obviously there's going to be Canadian French. And I do not know podcasts about uh, Canadian French. I have to say my expertise in Canadian French is not very high, <laughs> even though I'm fascinated by the accent and the way they speak. I think it's great, but... Yeah. I mean, because it's kind of funny, I'm learning Parisian French. Uh-huh. That's kind of French. And um, I actually understood Steve Kaufman and um, Tetsu Young when they, when Steve was interviewed on the Langfest um, um, channel. Mm-hmm. Um, a few, like a month ago or two months ago, and I, I, I had actually understood ninety-five of what they were saying in French, and I think that was a contributing factor to the fact that I was listening to France twenty-four for three hours a day. Oh yeah. So, yeah, because I have that news channel, and I, I listen to the news in French. I don't listen to it in English anymore. That or Italian or Russian. So, those are the three languages I listen to the news in. And so um, I actually understood their whole entire interview in French. So they, I think they were speaking Quebecois French. And I actually understood it. Oh, wow. And That's even, really tough. <laughs> no, I listened to a Parisian news channel. <laughs> so that, that, but I, you know, someone's like, French is so hard. And I was like, I don't think it's that difficult. Really, it's not. Well, I guess for me, it's not because I already know a romance language or two. But I've always wanted to know French, and I think that's the difference. If you 
are passionate about something like French, for instance, you're not going to find it as challenging as someone that just has to muddle by through the language because they need it because, okay, I got to take it in high school or college or something. Yeah. You know, uh, or I'm just going on a two-week vacation. But, I mean, I'm sorry. If I was in Paris, I would, uh, of course, I mm-hmm. would be going to the cafes and speaking French constantly and going <laughs> to see the Eiffel Tower and just soaking everything up that I could soak up. And I would know the difference between ordering duck and chicken in French. <laughs> Which is very important. Yeah, because I remember a Beverly Hills 90210 episode where Donna had went to Paris with Brenda. And she had, um, or she, they were learning French and Brenda could speak better French than Donna. And she um, wound up ordering them duck. Yeah, duck. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, did they even realize that was a duck they just ordered? And then because Donna didn't understand, she flipped out. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so hilarious. But by the end of the, because she had a learning disability. And so she learned by ear. And when I went back and watched that episode, because it was years. I mean, I was a teenager. But when I went back and watched it again and I realized, yeah, she had a learning disability. And so they were able to, she was able to learn French in the time that they were there for just by osmosis alone, you know, from passive learning and active. You know, she couldn't do it in the classroom, but she could do it on the street. But sometimes also the um, emergency, well, the urgency rather, where you have to, so you do. (laughs) Right. Right, and she got better at understanding what was going on, and by the end of the show, she was speaking French. And I was like, that's like freaking awesome. (laughs) I mean, because I I know plenty of blind people that are all over the world, and this one chick, she she learned Chinese Braille, and she learned, she speaks fluent Chinese, and she teaches English over in China, and uh, she has family over in China. And her, uh, I was told that the braille code for Chinese is basically the tonal system. You learn the tonal system and, um, you know, how they, how they work and all that. But she, it's, I think tonal languages for some people that are blind and visually impaired are a little bit easier because of the sounds that they make. Right. Um, some people I know for a fact, I know someone that, you know, we wind up learning languages a lot more quickly, um, mainly because it is by ear. I mean, now, yes, you can learn the Braille code for whatever language because you need to read and write in that language. Yes, that's true. You also can get audio. But, I mean, back in the day, that's all they had was audio. And then you learn, once you learned the language and became proficient in the language, speaking it and everything, you were able to then be able to really learn the Braille code especially if it's a Latin language, a Latin, you know, language, romance, whatever, you learn one alphabet, you know the other alphabets. It's pretty self-explanatory. So there might be a few punctuation here and there, but at the end of the day, yeah, I can read French Braille, Italian Braille, Portuguese, Romanian, and Spanish. So That's pretty cool. (laughs) But... 
Right. Like I tell people all the time, it's it's you don't necessarily need to read it. It's not necessary because everything you can do is audio. And with yeah. the iPhone, Android phones, they have text to speech software that's built in, so you you can just switch the language out and download the voice or whatever whatever language and then you can switch it and then have it speak in that language for you and have it read you what the text is in that language so if you have a text that's in french it'll read it to you out loud in french and that way you're able to get you know your your listening in and then if you have a display not everyone has a braille display um you can you can pair it to your phone bluetooth and then the words that come up in braille in that language and then you're able to read what is on the screen in braille in that language so you're getting the tactile and you're getting the audio at the same time and you'll be able to spell and know the grammar and all that type of stuff and that's pretty much how a lot of uh, blind people if they're completely blind or people who have low vision um that's how they learn. Now, not everyone learns Braille because it's it's a it's a time consuming thing. It's a, a cost situation. Yeah. So in the U.S., you're lucky if if you if you're like me and you're partial, so you have some vision, but it's not enough to read print anymore. They want you to use your vision until it's gone. I was lucky I was able to learn Braille at eight, but because my vision was still good, I was able to still read you know regular print books at the time. Um, then it flipped over to large print, then it flipped over to audio, and then it remained there. Um, so, um, they don't, a lot of people don't, um, they're not able to read and learn Braille. Um, and then some people aren't able to learn it because they have diabetes and because they have to prick their fingers and do blood testing. All right. Their fingers become numb. So they're not able to read the dots or learn the dots. So audio does help in that capacity, even though a lot of people have this big controversial thing going on where they believe that listening isn't reading. I was like, it's a form of literacy because what were you doing before the printing press was made? Also, I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, there seems to be a view that when you learn a language, you need to work on all the skills but sometimes you don't want to or sometimes you just can't for you know um medical reasons i guess uh, or right. physical reasons but it doesn't mean you don't learn a language properly right and I, don't, I think people forget that when they learn their first language you don't know how to read or write you don't know grammar terms exactly you don't know any of that and i think as adults we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect yeah and right like the first time around and there's no such thing i know i'm not i'm not perfect when i speak english you know i'm more of an informal person i mean there is a certain situation where if you're conducting business with somebody you communicate in a different way but i mean at the end of the day you're still learning the language whether you're learning it passively and actively whether you're learning it because you want to read and write, oh, that's yeah. great. You know, so uh, those things are, you know, just as important. Now, okay, I, if you notice, I dictate everything that I say into my phone using Siri. And half the time, I might get it right. The other half, it might not be <laughs> because of... I remember. <laughs> you 
know, and, and people, people can be very critical when you don't have a certain word spelled right. And someone had to say, do you realize she's visually impaired and that she's using Siri and that Siri doesn't work constantly? I mean, you have to yell at the phone in order for it to, to come out the way you want it to. Yeah. But also I find like it's irrelevant, you know, whether the person has disability or not, like, you know, even if people just misspell a word, I feel like we tend to be really focused on spelling. And um, I actually remember doing a video about um, linguistic discrimination, which is that people will judge you based on the way you speak or write. And it's actually a discrimination, really. And I think that's really the word, because if someone just happens to not have been educated in the language, then you just being a jerk because they didn't have a chance to get the same level of education as you, or maybe you're just being a jerk to someone that, like you, uses a, uses a software. Um, and also what's interesting is often, I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have, but whenever there's an argument such as on Facebook and under articles, there's always going to be someone that will mis misspell a word and someone else that will say, oh, your opinion is irrelevant because you can't even spell, like kind of arguments. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> oh, I notice it all the time. I mean, there are people yeah. I've had blocked on Facebook because they were just so rude and mean. Yeah. And and I I've said on more than one occasion, it language learning, we do this because we we enjoy it. It's something that we wake up wanting to do every single day. Yeah. And Someone made a comment to me this morning and said, well, you have a lot of time on your hands, so you're able to learn multiple languages a lot quicker than some people. And I said, I'm not technically learning them quicker. I'm taking my time with them. But at the same time, too, my time is just as valuable as anybody else's time. And there's more to language learning or work in general, whatever you want to define your work as, if you're getting paid to teach, if you're doing it freelance, if you're doing it on a voluntary capacity, you're, you're working, you know, you, I, I put out tweets all the time. I'm, I'm contributing my expertise to the community. So mm -hmm. I am something. I have a page now on Facebook where I want people to join, you know, because it's about language learning, but I'm doing it from a creative standpoint because everybody seems, I want to know this grammar, I want to know this, I want to know this. Well, why don't you try a different approach, like a more relaxed approach? Listen to a song, try to make a dish, pick up a magazine and find an article you want to read. You know, um, if you want to post a picture of a meal that you made in this language, at least put what, where it came from, what the cultural, you know, references were to it, and like it in the target language and in English, just in case somebody wants to, you know, to get the recipe and make it for themselves. I don't mind that. I mean, there are some people's pages where if you say hello in another language, if it's not relevant to what you <laughs> or to what they think is relevant for their page, they'll take it down. <laughs> I've seen that. Like I actually put on someone's page, hello, well, good morning, everybody, and finish. And it got taken down. And then I, I was told I had violated a rule. It's a lie. Okay. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know, so I mean those types of things. 
you know, I have to like ignore. I mean, I used to react to everything. I stopped doing that because it's just a waste of my energy. Yeah. And on a personal level, like I believe in sharing information with people. I was like, dude, it takes me time to get interviews with people. It took me a year to interview Steve Kaufman. That's dedication. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I said the what what sucked about it was I was on Zoom and the daggone interview didn't record. Oh. So I got the information in my head. I just don't I don't have a, a audio recording. Oh so frustrating. Feel, yes. And I was just so upset about that and I was like, Well, you know what? I got to talk to Steve anyway. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I mean, for me personally, you know, when I when I do my podcast show, I always tell people, I said, you know, I'm very real about my struggles with language learning. I mean, I don't find it so much to be a struggle anymore because I'm I'm enjoying the process. If I just want to learn up to A1, fine. If I want to learn up to A2, fine. If I want to stop right there with that language, that's fine with me because I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. And to see how much my brain can expand language-wise. And actually, Crashing told me that if, if I wanted to, once I get done with Hindi, uh, I should try Farsi. <laughs> Is it related? Yeah, well, I guess, or, yeah, Persian. I should try Persian. Because it's, it's, it's similar to Hindi. Because it's in that area. Well, I mean, well, I mean, when you do Persian, Farsi, you, it's in Iran. That's what they speak. Right. So, um, and I said, you know, I might, I might think about that. I mean, because I've been using the Mango Languages app, which actually does help. And I actually use um, Memorize, too. But I also use um, a little bit of innovative language. Like, I have all the languages downloaded on the, my phone through the app. So like I have like 10 different languages from um, Innovative by itself. Um, mm -hmm. I have all the information. So like from beginner to like advanced. So if I ever want to go, um, like when I do my Japanese stuff, I have a whole bunch of Japanese, but I couldn't fit. They had so much Japanese on that site. I couldn't fit it all. <laughs> so I had to be picky of what I wanted. And then um, I have Michelle Thomas Japanese, so I'm going to use that, and, and Mango Japanese. And I'm just going to start speaking and, you know, finding certain movies in that language that I want to watch. And just start watching it in the language just so I can get the sound in my head. And then I'm going to get Harry Potter. And I'm going in to... Japanese. In Japanese. Oh. I, would, I always tell people, get the, get the digital version, the ebook version first. I can just I can put my braille display with it, and then I can I can read it in Japanese braille. But first, I got to learn all three of the Japanese alphabets in braille, so I'll know which is which. And now, for what <laughs> I'll I've take been, a while. There's a lot of sounds in Japanese. Oh uh, yeah, well, <laughs> like 46. <laughs> I went through the first year of Japanese like two years ago, mm -hmm. in like a month, and um. <laughs> I mean, I just kept going with it. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so awesome. Oh, well, this. And I probably don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> I remember certain words in Japanese, but I don't remember, you know, certain other things. So I'm like, um, 
I mean, I, I, can, I can actually, you know, say certain phrases, but that's because of my Michelle Thomas course. But I, I've i always wanted to go to a Japanese restaurant and order me some food in Japanese. I mean, that's always my litmus test is to see if I could order some food in a language. And if I could do that, then, yeah, I, I could speak this language. I, it's very so rewarding as well. So difficult uh, for me, but... Um, because I like I like food and I like to cook food and I like fashion and, and music and whatnot. So I, in having a good conversation, everybody's like, well, what level do you want to get to? And I was like, at this point, maybe a B one just to be on the safe side. I know it'll take me a year, but I don't care. It's you know I'll be maintaining the other fifteen languages. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I know a little bit here and a little bit there, and I did dabble in some Icelandic for a minute. Um, just because people kept saying it was difficult, and I, I get tired of hearing that. Like every native speaker I've heard, it's difficult. My language is difficult, and I said, "Well, is it because you tried to learn a language yourself and it didn't work out the direction you took?" And so you think that because you didn't do so well at the language that you tried to learn in a particular way, um, that you know your language is difficult. I mean, because I, I don't see Portuguese being difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? It's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious, like, if you can give five tips to, you know, people starting out, what would they be? Uh, with Japanese or languages in general? Just in general. Um, uh... I think, oh, that's really hard. I think the first step would be to just um, do something you enjoy, first of all. For me, for example, um, what I enjoy is using textbooks, is writing the language, something that I like. But I know it wouldn't be for everyone, so that's definitely something I recommend. Second tip would be to, I kind of said that um, earlier, is to um, whatever you like to do in your free time, you know, is it a hobby, is it watching movies or whatever, Try to do it in the target language. Mm -hmm. uh, second thing I would say is to try to take risks. Um, and what I mean is if you either go to the country or talk to native speakers, um, try not to be scared to actually talk to them. It's kind of easy to say, but, you know, breathe. Everything will be fine and just try. And even if it fails, then, you know, try to see what went wrong and try to improve the next time. Um, even if that means trying the exact same thing five minutes later with another, with another native speaker, why not? Um, <laughs> that I've, I've definitely done that before. Um, another thing that I would recommend would be to um, definitely look into what's out there in terms of resources. Um, just because you tried one thing and maybe it wasn't the best doesn't mean that's it. You know, There's always going to be things that you can do. So, for example, let's say you don't like Duolingo, maybe you can try Mango Languages, or maybe you can try um, Pimsla, or you know something different. Um, and yeah, I think it's very important to sort of reflect and see what works, what doesn't work, and just adapt. Really, I think, especially at the beginning, because I feel like people, you know, when they're new to language learning, they don't know how they learn or how to learn. So. Yeah. It is a learning curve. I think it's very important to um, be aware that it's not always your fault. It can can just be the resource that's not ideal for you. 
About number five, uh, it would be to follow channels like mine, <laughs> obviously. But I think it's generally speaking, it's important to also um, get information from people that have done it as well. First, because that gives you the techniques and some ideas. And second, because I think that gives you quite a bit of inspiration as well. I think that would be my five tips. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you're actually the second French person I have interviewed. Really? I interviewed. Well, rare kind. <laughs> I've interviewed uh, Alexei Polidoro, um, mm -hmm. French with Alexa YouTube channel, and I, you would not believe this, but that interview, even though it was 35 minutes long. And I spoke a little bit of French at the time. I was I just hit A2 speaking uh -huh. after starting in April of last year and doing it off and on. 185 listens. That's really good. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and then, then Vladimir Skoltetti is number two. <laughs> so I, I, I have to say that... Um, French is a very popular language out there, and I think people enjoyed her interview mainly because she actually said that she was making her her podcast her her YouTube channel not just for the general public but for people with disabilities too. Um, and she wanted to know my input. Um, actually, I'm still supposed to be working on giving an interview in French to her. <laughs> Challenged me to do that. I, I still have, I haven't contacted her in a minute. Well, I've been so busy trying to dip my head into upteen languages. I will eventually get back to wanting to do an interview. And for everybody's like, it's not that hard. I'm like, <laughs> let me make sure I have this down pat. I have to speak for oh. Also, it just takes courage, you know, and just yeah. do it. <laughs> well, I mean, because I've never done anything like that before. I mean, I've had basic interaction but not to the point where i'm sitting here asking the person the question the language so yeah. i'm i'm going to work on that and then maybe next year <laughs> when i'm not so distracted i will i will do another interview with her in french and uh, yeah because i've seen how people have done that like in italian or in this language or that language and i'm like I have to. I have to do that. I have to work on that. I, That's that a great goal and great project. Yeah, yeah. So I said I'm going to do that uh, eventually. Uh, right now, my brain. I just got finished learning how to say a few things in Greek recently. Um, so I'm quite. I do like a chapter a day of manga. So last night I did chapter one and I learned the basics and then I learned how to say. You know, I can speak some. I can speak. Greek or English, I can speak, you know, I don't speak this very well, blah, blah. And I do it that way. Like I'll, I'll either study at night before I go to bed and I'll do a whole chapter. And then that way I'm, I'll practice it out loud before I go to bed. And then when I wake up, I still remembered what I had learned the night before. And then I'll do the same process like the next day early in the morning. And then that way I have, and then I'll listen to like a podcast in Greek, even though I don't know all the words, I'll still have that listening. And then my, my study for that language is done for the day. So, you know, um, I pretty much do that. And then I'll go in the middle of the day and, you know, I'll either write something in another language or dictate it in another language just to practice what I've learned. 
um, to reinforce it online and get feedback. I've mm -hmm. asked my videos now on Instagram um, to, to practice my languages. That's something I want to do as well with Japanese. Yeah. That's uh, my they, goal for September. <laughs> they don't, they don't, you have, I think you have a certain time limit. So I pretty much do like introductory. I did some introductory finish and someone mm -hmm. said finish was good, even though I'm still at the beginner level of finish. But um, like I'm reading Harry Potter and finish now, which is kind of cool. The fourth book anyway. Nice. And audio. And then I have all, well, five, three through seven in, in, in ebook. So I said, you know, this is going to be so cool. I mean, because people are like, finish is so hard. I'm like, I don't see it that way. <laughs> I mean, there is a case system, yes. But, you know, I mean, to me, it, didn't, it doesn't seem that difficult. But I said, you know, I want to know the beginnings of all the languages I said I was going to do on my challenge. And then I'll work my way from there. Because you have nothing but time to learn all this stuff. It's not like you're, you're needing it because you're moving to Japan to go work at some Fortune 500 company tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I always tell my students that or anyone I'm giving advice to online um, that same thing. You know, just take your time and enjoy it, you know, and try not to compare yourself to all these other people because they will tell you the same thing that it took them just as much time to learn what they learned. You know, in regards to language learning. I mean, Ollie Richards has learned 11 languages. Yeah, 11. She's impressive. <laughs> but he's even said, I don't, I'm not fluent in all of them. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I think most of his languages that he's really good at, I mean, he's very good at Japanese. His oh, his Portuguese accent is really good as well. I'm not Brazilian, but his accent is legit. <laughs> I've heard him sing in, in Portuguese and in Cantonese. He has a really oh. good And so, um, yeah, he's, I'm always promoting his stuff because he's one of the one polyglots that creates content for people where it's accessible for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know a particular group of people so i mean he has the audio with the track with the with the um with the printed material as well and um i when i interviewed him back in october i said thank you for doing that because a lot of people aren't doing that they're just everything is pdf and when you're using a screen reader pdf doesn't always um it's not accessible so, right. so you have to do it like in a TXT format or rich text format. So I gave him some suggestions to add these as, as extra add-ons. So like if the person buys it, they have the, they have the choice to be able to download it in a particular format of their choice where right. it would be accessible. And he said, I'm going to take this under advisement because I got like 400 PDFs. <laughs> and, and then I said, well, when it comes down to JPEG files and you have an image up there, you might want to type in the description box what that picture is because when people that are deaf and they're doing closed caption, there's no captions, they don't know what that is. Or someone that has a text-to-speech software like VoiceOver or JAWS for Windows, for instance, that is going to, all it's going to see is a blank page even though there's words on it because it's not right. typed, just scanned in. You know, so I'm always saying, can somebody please let me know what this is because you're just throwing stuff up here 
<laughs> you know, and it's technicalities of it, isn't it? Yes, it's very, it's, it's very frustrating for a lot of people that are print disabled um, because of the fact that they can't read that stuff. And I've seen the reverse where if I put something up and forget something, then it's automatically taken down and people are complaining because they're not getting, they don't know what this is about. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a group and you have a whole bunch of people, it doesn't matter what group it is on Facebook, people have to be mindful that there are people out there in the disability community where they can't reprint and they have to have it typed out so it can be read or else they're not going to feel like they're being able to be an equal contributor within the conversation that you're trying to have. I think it's very important, I think, to have feedback from people that have disabilities because when you don't, it's really hard to put yourself in the in their shoes. So I think it's very useful and important to have that kind of feedback so you're aware of the issues. Right. And I mean, sometimes people become very, very uh, offended. And I said, well, you put your feet in someone's shoes um, when you're making a... a content right like an app i'll just use that like i'll use drops as a prime example of this i downloaded drops right because i wanted to see what it looked like mm-hmm. oh maybe i can use this you know and because i was able to use memorize because it was accessible and all that duolingo i'm not a big fan of <laughs> try it didn't like it so but i would recommend it to other people if that's what they wanted it just didn't work for me so I looked at this app and realized it was not accessible at all. I was like, they made a, they made this app and there's no accessibility features. And then someone said, well, they didn't make the app for people that were visually impaired and blind. And someone said, they made an educational app. That app needs to be accessible or they can be sued. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Because it's, it's educational. Anybody can go and download right, right. So it's like, not to say somebody wants to, but trust me, you do not want to get a bunch of blind people and disabled <laughs> people together talking about, I want to sue you because it, it made the news. And then everybody like, well, wait a minute, why didn't you make this accessible? Well, I mean, because if you're not thinking about that, I was like, well, there are people that have print disabilities, not just visual ones, you know, so you might have dyslexia or ADD, ADHD, Asperger's. Yeah, yeah you know, whatever. And people need to be able to use something like that, especially if you're making it for educational purposes. And it's free. So I'm actually going to write drops and ask, you know, um, are you guys planning on having any accessibility features for this app? Because there are people that are in a disability community that cannot use this app because it's not accessible. You know, because that's something that's important. If you're going to have something that you want to share to the world, it has to be it has to be accessible because you don't know who's going to download it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's not no one's asking for special treatment, but at the same time, if someone is going to make a statement, well, they didn't make it for someone that was blind or visually impaired. Well, really? Then who do they make it for? <laughs> yeah. 
Also, yeah. I'm sure there's easy ways to make it more accessible that don't necessarily cost a lot of money. Right, and that's the problem. Like, I don't think a lot of people want to put the time into it. It doesn't take that much. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. If they think about it ahead of time, well, okay, we might actually have someone that's disabled using, or they could work with the different organizations yeah. to partner up to say, hey, what is it that we need to do to make sure that this is going to work for you too, not just for the regular public? We'll do better testing as well. Right, right. And I mean, this is why I also created my podcast show was to highlight that and to say, look, I might be visually impaired, but I created a podcast off of a free app that's accessible with my software and I'm able to interview people from around the world. So and create good material where almost 9K people are listening from, you know, 77 countries right now. So, you know, I said, if I can do this, anybody can do it. But if I'm recommending your app to someone, I need to make sure that this is going to be accessible for everybody, not just one group of people. Yeah, that's yeah. very important, actually. Yeah. Right. I mean, because that's if you created an app and it, you know, you were making it, you would have to know, you would have to do some type of sample poll or something some beta testing to see how it functioned with the public. And if there was someone that was disabled that was using it, they would contact you and be like, hey, this is what's going on with this. Could you do this? Would you be able to do this or blah, blah, blah? That is a fair, you know, trade-off. You're getting information that you didn't know about for your app to work better for everybody. Because essentially when you come up with something, you're not thinking about the general public right then and there. You're thinking about this idea that you want to see come to life. You know, you don't know who's going to use it or not, so forth and so on. So I always say people should keep an open mind when it comes down to people with disabilities, because I know someone else that she's deaf and she's like, oh yeah, I have to ask people, can they please have closed captions because I can't hear, mm -hmm. you know? And, and it's like, they're lazy. They don't want to do it. I was like, yes, people want money, but they don't want to put the time in to make sure that it's, it's usable for everybody. So I was like, it's kind of like a slippery slope sort of, you know, with that. And I mean, I have to be delicate with it, like not to sound like I'm pushing it down anyone's throat. Yeah. But I mean, like Alex Rowling said, oh yeah, you need to have your podcast out there because a lot of people don't know about this. They just don't. I was like, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, 300 million blind people in the world out of 7 billion. 300 million. So, that's a huge amount, actually, yeah. Yeah, so you can imagine what, how many deaf people, how many people with learning disabilities and other disabilities there are tacked on to that. So I'm just like, hmm, let's see here, you know, <laughs> you know and, and they thank me for letting them know about it. It was like, I'm going to try to implement some of that. And I'm like, you might want to. 
because it's not, I mean, and this is just the truth of it, it's not always about making a buck. Because if you really want to educate somebody, sometimes you'll do it, you have to start out doing it for free in order to make any money. You know, and if people really know that you're passionate about what it is you're doing, and you're willing to do it for free and, and struggle, then they will come your way, you know, to some extent. Mm. No, I agree with you. I agree, for sure. Yeah. So, but, um, Jabujure, Tudi, Monomi, Merci beaucoup. Pas de problème. Pour parler avec moi aujourd'hui. Avec plaisir. J'ai fait apprécier la trope. trop. Mon ami. Également. Plaisir partagé. J'espère que tu es magnificente ce soir en London. J'habite à Brighton. Oh. <rire> C'est à côté de Londres. <rire> Ce soir, mon ami. Um, and I gotta end this. Um, thank you to all my listeners um, for listening today with my guest Kevin from Kevin Abroad at youtube.com. And his YouTube channel will be in the show notes. Um, don't forget to subscribe on TuneIn Radio iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Store, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere else that you can find Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast. I also like to thank the sponsors of the show, Flipboard.com. You guys are amazing. Um, you keep the lights on. Um, and I will see everybody in the next episode of Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast. And remember, language learning is a journey, not a race. Enjoy the process. Au revoir tout le monde. Au revoir.